Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for tuning back in to another episode of Drugs and Stuff. Today, Dave and I discuss the experiment he's running using IVTB500 and BPC157. After that, we tackle a bunch of listener questions that you guys posted on the previous episode. By the way, if you want to take part in the next show, then comment below. We'll take your questions then. This week, we talk about dealing with scar tissue at the injection site. Is HGH frag even worth it? Compounds that will help recitus. What's going to be the next new exciting PED to hit bodybuilding? Is it a good idea to use muscle relaxers post-workout? Plus, a bunch more, guys. If you enjoy our content, then do me a favor. Hit the like. Leave us a comment. And if you haven't subscribed yet, we'd love to have you along because we have several different bodybuilding podcasts that come out each week. All right, guys, let's get to Dave. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Drugs and Stuff with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for some additional savings. And I will let you know now. MPA muscle intrusion is back in stock. So I'm going to order some of that up. David Stanley Crossland. Yes, sir. Good day, mate. All right. How you doing? Not bad. Not bad. Uh, yeah. Watching it about to rain. Uh, no, I just had a nice weekend away and I've been experimenting What's this? Not, yes, that that is uh, a bag of piss. It looks actually. It looks like it. It is. It's a bag of piss. So what I've been doing is pissing in the bag and then putting it back into my outer. <sighs> this files under. Don't try this. No, for real. What are, what are we looking at here? I saw this picture okay, on Facebook. So what's in there is two milligrams of TB five hundred and two milligrams of BPC one five seven. The colour is because I threw in a three mil vial of vitamin B complex as well, which is why it's gone that lovely piss colour. Okay. So, um, Rich Foster had been playing around with IV in TB. Um, he had a couple of friends that, that, and he himself had some issues with his back. Uh, and so he'd been playing around with it to see if it would have an impact or a greater impact IV. And it did seem to be helping. Um, so his protocol was two milligrams once a week for four weeks, and then he's dropped to one two milligram dose once a month. So we got talking about it. And I must admit, at some point, I've probably considered putting everything we use in an IV at some point, but never quite got around to doing it. But uh, And one of the concerns with peptides is that you have – good not just purity of drug but good purity as in the bacterial load of the vial because obviously you don't want to be putting a shitload of bacterial content in iv yeah so i do know a peptide supplier who i do trust very very highly um so i um got some uh he was very kind to to actually send me some for nothing um now to to put the background in this i have a lot of foot pain and I get a lot of foot pain all the time. So there's, it's been diagnosed as arthritis, but also some nerve impingement coming from um, a couple of bad discs in my back. Hmm. So under normal circumstances, if I walk any length of time, say 30 minutes of continuous walking, then 
I will be in a huge amount of pain within 24 hours of that point. And it's always a sort of delayed thing. They get a little bit tender at the time, but it's always delayed. And then the next day I'll be in, in a lot of pain. So three, four weeks ago, I went to a car show, probably walked around for about two hours. And I spent a week unable to walk or stand. So I was either using a wheelchair or I was hobbling or crawling around the best of my ability. And that's commonplace. Uh, that happens quite frequently. And, and some, sometimes, I mean, the longest I've been out is three months where I've been unable to walk. Or I remember that. So TB500, uh, let's, let's, I guess, for anybody who isn't familiar with it, this is, this okay, is one so, of the things that you went to. What does it do? So TB500 and BPC157 are both gut peptides. Um, TB is a systematic peptide that that helps with inflammation and tissue repair. And BPC is more synonymous with ligament tendon repair. There's some, I believe there's some disagreement on whether BPP needs to be cited or not. The, the original sort of information was that it needs to be cited, but... Since then, it, it appears that there is more now of a uh, possibility that it could be system-wide. Yeah. So I started with this with an IV three weeks ago, um, and it wasn't dramatic, uh, and my resting pain levels didn't change at all. But I did notice that I had slightly more flexation in my feet. So Okay. Previously, I couldn't go up on my toes. That was that was painful, um, and I used to have to walk on my heel and flat forward. Whereas I was finding I was actually starting to be able to flexate my feet a bit more. And then I had the second one, um, and again, not not a dramatic change in resting pain, but there was a subtle improvement. And, and again, I was finding I was able to do more without the consequent in pain the next day. Hmm. Um, so we went to Edinburgh, and this won't mean anything to you, but I was, well, we, apart from sitting down for lunch, I was pretty much on, and sitting down occasionally, I was pretty much on my feet for seven, eight hours. Why would that not mean anything uh, to me? Oh, well, no, I haven't finished yet. I know what it's like to so, stand, Dave. No, I'm getting to the finishing point. So oh. for those that are familiar with Edinburgh, I walk from the train station to the top of the mile, then back down to the dungeons, then back up to the top of the mile. Um, no, sorry, for them, from the dungeons, I went to Frankenstein's. Then I walked back to the top of the mile, then walked down the mile to St. Mary's Court, and then so St. Mary's Close, and then walked from, from the middle of the mile back down to the train station. So there's a few miles in there. Yeah. That's the bit that you wouldn't understand. Okay. A lot more walking than you normally would do. Oh, that would probably cause a lot of pain, I'm assuming, normally. Five, six times more than I've walked in the last 18, two years. Really? 18 months, two years. Okay. Because the pain's usually that de debilitating afterwards. Uh, got back to the hotel. And my, my feet were a bit tender, but it was more just because they're just not used to being walking that distance. You know what I mean? Went out for a meal that night and they were fine. Woke up the next morning and they were a little bit sensitive, but I could still maintain and I could still walk. And we went up to Roslyn Chapel, had a wander around there, and then we drove back down a coastal road. And this is all having been but, on TB500 already? Without doubt. Okay. Without doubt. There is, there is no doubt that my ability to stand and walk has not improved 
that much yeah. in three weeks. Okay. Um, That's cool. So it, it is – the pain still – this is the strange thing. The, the rest in pain is still fairly constant. It's subdued probably maybe 10 20%. Hmm. Uh, but it just never worsens. It, yeah. it never gets, you know, um, it gets a little bit nippy, but but not. I mean, if I'd have done that prior to doing this IV protocol, I would not be able to stand for at least a week, at least, if not longer. Understood. Um, and I'm up and about and moving around. I had another one on the Sunday when I got back. Okay. Uh, and like today, my feet feel 10 times better. Um, I've got some aches and pains in my shin, in the front of my shin uh, and in my calf, but that's the walking, that's muscular, that's nothing to do with any arthritis issues. Which if you're not used to walking that long, you would expect. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's, 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 it's a, it's, you know, it's like that. It's, it's quite, it's up a hill. It's not flat. We're not talking of just wandering around on a flat. It's, it's uphill when you go up the mile. Yeah. Now I'll tell you, I have not used TB 500 and, uh, from what I understand, that's it's beneficial for inflammation. And BPC-157, I've had a great deal of experience with. I've found it to be extremely helpful for things like tendon issues. Uh, I, I get a lot, or I have gotten a lot of shoulder problems for my bicep tendon. So a lot of people, unless you really actually sit down and figure it out or, or have like a practitioner, like my... Uh, uh, deep tissue. She's not even deep tissue. She's an FST fascio stretch uh, technique therapist. You know, we figured out that this is my bicep tendon up here that was causing a great deal of pain. So for that, I've used BPC 157. Uh, when I tore my supraspinatus, I used BPC 157. Um, I've dosed it fairly high. You know, I've seen in the message boards and stuff and posted around the internet, people doing 250 micrograms twice a day. I've gone as high as two milligrams to, uh, per day, and I find that to be very helpful to knock it out quickly. I find for me personally, I almost feel though that for BPC, it's something that works really good in the, the short term. If I get like some type of a minor, if I get some type of a tweak, it's more likely to take care of that quickly. Um, how well it works for like a long-term issue, I'm not sure, but it sounds like that's exactly what you're dealing with. So it sounds it sounds promising, you know, it really does. Well, the next plan is so I've got one more IV to do this weekend on this protocol. Okay. Then I'm going to try and double the dose of the TB and see if there's any change in that. Um, now I'm not sure if the BPC is adding anything to it or not, if I'm honest. Uh, but I thought I'd rather start with everything and then I can pull one out and see if there's any change in results. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to try TB double dosing next, which will be four milligrams, which, you know, isn't a huge amount, but when you're considering the bioavailability of IV, absolutely, the actual effectiveness of that is, is massive. What's the, um, the normal dose is what, two milligrams per week, is it? Or I can't remember how that works. I think it's two to five, yeah. Uh, okay. But, I mean, I'll be getting over over five. If you inject five IM, that's probably equivalent to less than one milligram IV. I would so imagine. So there's a big hit hitting you there. Um, and then I'll, I'll leave it a few weeks and see if there's, there's a – 
you know, if it deteriorates and if it needs to be a maintenance dose or whether it's a, a more long-term improvement um, and just sort of play around a little bit and see where we go with that. But so far, yeah, I'm, um, I'm impressed. It, it's, I didn't expect there to be such an improvement in tolerance with actually not such an improvement in um pain if you know what i mean i was expecting that if it was going to work i was just going to be pain free yeah uh but obviously if i pushed it too much i'd get get problems where it seems to be the opposite the pain doesn't actually load that much but it's much more consistent uh, and it doesn't flare up anywhere near what it used to at all all right well right on in that case i'm going to tell you what let's move on uh, because we do have a ton of listener questions uh, you know, by the way, I didn't mention, guys, uh, if you haven't subscribed to our programming, we'd love to have you along. We have new podcasts coming out each week. You can learn a ton from guys like Dave, guys like Scott Stevenson. We've got uh, Ron and Dusty. Uh, I've been putting out a lot of shows lately, Dave. I have to tell you that. You'll definitely learn more from Scott than you will from me. <laughs> so that said, uh, before we get to the, the, the listener questions you guys have sent us, uh, and I also will note that if you have listener questions, feel free to post them in the comments. Uh, we will take them there. Oh, we just got a question here before I get into the questions. Uh, wait, where's the cabbage? Where are you hiding him? Is Christmas cabbage with us today? Did you forget him on your trip? No, no, he's just, he's otherwise engaged at the moment. Oh, okay. What's he doing? Stuff. Cabbage stuff. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Well, let's move on. Uh, guys, feel free to post your questions up. I see that Laser posted one for us. We'll jump into that. Uh, and I'm going to take our questions from the previous episode, which we were not here last week. Uh, Dave was busy, uh, but we are back. Okay. Dave was having a meltdown last week. <laughs> So when is the best time to draw bloods to check testosterone and estrogen levels? The day before my next pin? Day after? Three days after pin? Also, uh, when is the best time to take an AI? The day after your first injection or does it not matter? Let's start with the first bit. So I personally prefer to test bloods prior to injection for the simple reason is that's going to be your trough. Yes. So you know that from that point, anything is going to be elevated. It is important, and, and funny, I had this conversation with somebody today. It is important that when you test blood, you are aware of the relativity of that in what you're doing. And, and what I mean by this is that if you have a very singular injection protocol, so one shot a week or one shot a fortnight, depending on what you're doing, then you're going to see much higher peaks and troughs. And... Test doesn't convert to estrogen instantaneously. It is a process. And as a result, estrogen will lag behind. Yes. So if you have a single ester test shot that peaks at, say, hour 18 to 24 and then starts to drop off like this, your estrogen peak is going to come on and peak later behind yes. it. Yeah. If you test at the estrogen peak, you're going to see very high estrogen, but you're going to see lower than your peak testosterone, and you're going to assume your estrogen is very, very high. So you've got to just have a little – it is a bit of guesswork, but you've just got to have a little bit of, right, okay, so I shot on Monday. I've tested on Thursday. 
I know my test is going to be beyond its peak and on its way down, but I know my estrogen is potentially going to be at peak or still climbing. So I know that my estrogen level is not a true reflection of where I am. Yeah. Obviously, if you do a multiple injection protocol where you're injecting twice or three times a week, then your peaks and troughs will be much shallower and everything will be much more stable. However, if you inject after five, six weeks of cycle, everything will have stabled down a lot more as well. And so the variation in these peaks and troughs will not be as dramatic. Um, so it's just bearing that in mind. If you're testing at the very beginning of a cycle, you might find some quite strange results in relation to the dosages you're using. And there'll be a lot different six weeks in when everything started to plateau. But don't take drugs in the middle of the show. You Scott, just reminded please. me I needed my AI. You, like you literally like talking about this. I was like, oh shit, I need to take my Rividex. So oh, Jesus Christ. Anyway, so it is worth bearing that in mind that, you know, as you get further into your cycle, these hormone levels will start to stabilize much more and therefore give you a much more accurate reading. Okay. But I would always work on my trough. If I was only doing one single test, I was always work at my trough point, which would be just before my next injection. Hmm. Okay. In regards to AI, um, again, if it's a long-term management, most AIs have a relatively long half-life. Um, so as a result, it's more about being consistent and not taking them halfway through a fucking podcast. <clears throat> like your very unprofessional, useless fucking host has just done. Um, what should I not take it? Should I just no. not take it? Are you telling me, Dave? No, because you're a girl anyway. So just make the transition complete. Oh. Grow some teeth. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa! <laughs> yeah, you're getting it tight today, mate. Um, <laughs> so um, no, so you know, it, it's um, if you're doing um, fast actors, then I would be tempted to detect the AI on the day of injection. If you're doing slow arresters, then I don't think it's as crucial and you, cause you're going to build up in your system to a plateaued level anyway. Uh, using a, a MCT based product, uh, testee, I've been instructed by a, uh, very well-respected coach, uh, using two CC or excuse me, two shots per week of test to dose the AI about 12 hours after, if you could remember to do that, about 12 mm. hours after the shot of, you know, like testy or whatever. So it's going to be a faster release because yeah. it's an MCT. But yeah. like, like yeah. you're talking about, there's going to be, just because you take the shot doesn't mean your estrogen is automatically going to go up. So there's no. going to be a leg time but, to catch that. Yeah, there's, there's, that, that, I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to give that an exact timing on it because I, I genuinely don't know, but the, it seems perfectly viable. Yeah, like a place to start. Um, obviously, you know, you're not obviously following his advice because you forgot to fucking take it. Fuck no, I'm not. No. I do my best, Dave, but just I'm feel I'm feeling good that I remember to take it at all. Okay. But Scott, your best just isn't good enough. I know you keep reminding me of that every week. All right, I'll move on here. See what else we've got. Uh, question uh, for the future: uh, topic of high or low T. Uh, if my body responds well to 300 milligrams of test a week without AI, uh, lowering the dose by 50% and adding 100 milligrams of trend, is this a good idea? Thinking about E2 and prolactin. The problem is when we talk about drugs, um, we talk about what should happen. Okay. 
what research has shown to potentially happen. What we can't consider in that is individual genetic reactions, individual reactions that can change due to body fat level and various other aspects of, of our makeup. So if 300 milligrams, no AI, doesn't cause you any estrogen levels, then really effectively by lowering to 150 and taking the trend, again, you shouldn't have any major estrogen issues. Obviously, your estrogen is going to be reduced because your test level has dropped. Yeah. But bear in mind that your test level drop will not be immediate. And because you're sustaining a dose of 150 at the back of the dose of 300, your actual elevation will be above 150 for several weeks. Sure. So it will be above what your blood plasma was resulted at 150 for several weeks. So you're going to have um, a residual of, of an elevation of estrogen for a longer period than when you first stopped. And that trend increases ER sensitivity. So as a result, you're going to get a stronger response from the ER, the, from the receptor for estrogen than you would normally, which means you're going to be more sensitive to the estrogen levels that are in your body. Yeah. The other aspect of this is, is the reaction to prolactin. And a lot of that is triggered by trends engagement of the progesterone receptor. Um, so, Prolactin not only well, prolactin doesn't really cause gyno, but what prolactin does is increase the number of estrogen receptors at the breast, which then means you get more receptor engagement, so therefore you get more triggers to form gyno, even though estrogen levels haven't altered. Yeah. So there's two factors you need to what need to watch. Um, so what I would consider really is just testing and see where you are. Um, it may be worth testing estrogen before you do the drop um, and then do estrogen prolactin four weeks after you've done the drop and you've introduced the trend. But don't forget, though, too, if you're taking trend, it's going to be difficult to check your estrogen, right? Sorry, yes, I, I did completely forget, and I should shoot myself because no, I no, no. If you were actually, if you weren't just talking, if you were actually doing it, I know you would think about it. But in I always harp on about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, you you've you've got to really set set your estrogen levels. You know, your estrogen levels at three hundred are going to be probably your guide as where you move moving forward because the increased sensitivity, the increase of estrogen receptors from prolactin is probably going to net a very similar reaction to what you were getting of 300 estrogen or 300 mega test converting to estrogen. Uh, but it is all theoretical, this. Yeah. I've you, never actually tested, you know. It's, I, I think, too, something that you're kind of, I think, getting at here is that uh, it's this isn't like a, a one for one. Removing half the test and then adding 100 milligrams of trend you know, you're, you're, you're going to have a different response, but that said, man, I feel like it's going to be very, everything's very low. Yeah, in, it is. In, I mean, my, I'm, I'm, yeah, in my opinion, I don't think you, most people would get negative side effects from this, you know, maybe, maybe erectile issues possibly, you know, that could be a potential thing that may creep up, but I'm just saying like, I don't think in general, I wouldn't expect like all of a sudden you're getting all sorts of crazy you know, gyno and stuff like that off of 150 no, and 100. Well, the, the, in the real world situation is the doses are probably far too low to actually cause any problems. Yeah. But the theory of it is that. Yeah. But um, the thing is, people will take that 
and then apply it to higher doses thinking the reaction is going to be the same and it's not. No, yeah, the higher the dose, obviously, the more risk of potential side effects you're going to have. So, mm -hmm. all right, let's see what else we got here. Here's our next one. Hey, guys, love the show. Quick question. Is there anything you can do about scar tissue buildup from common injection sites? Thank you. Now, I, I replied to him with what ended up turning into like a big long two paragraph response uh, in, in the YouTube comments. Um, but I, I have some thoughts on this one, but I want to hear Dave, what are, what are your thoughts here? Deep tissue would yeah. be the only real thing I'd go to is you can break it down with deep tissue and it works too, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's effectively calcification of the site, but you just break it down with deep tissue. Yeah. You know, if it's happening, cause when you're going with a needle, it feels like you're pushing it in through sand. It sounds like um, you guys have the Rice Krispies. Do you guys have Rice Krispies cereal there? You know, snap, snap, crackle, pop. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's got a grainy feel to it as you go in with a needle. It, 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 yeah. It's, uh, so you know when it's there. Um, but, yeah, deep tissue work. Um, that will break it down. Um, yeah. And you can do it yourself, really too. You don't have to go into, yeah. you know, I mean, a massage therapist isn't going to hurt, but you could also, you know, work on it with a foam roller, work on it with a lacrosse ball. That would be a really good way to get in those fibers and break them up. And of course, to giving it a break, you know, rest, not using that site. And it works like I've I've seen it work in my own life where I built up some scar tissue that was able to kind of get evened out with time. It takes time, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I had scar tissue build up in my delts and my arms because they were my my primary injection sites, and it, it's all effectively all gone now because obviously I don't use them anymore. I haven't done for five years, so yeah, nothing like a new Fucking site. Five right? years? Has it been five years? Nothing. Yeah. Wow. Nothing like a um, new site that just goes in like butter, you know, and then causes extreme agony the next day. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'll jump to Laser's question here. Now, Laser's having issues with the live feed today. He thinks it's us, but we're actually having a knock on whatever this desk is made out of. We're having a pretty good day here on the live feed. Um, hopefully, the video. We're not gets getting many up. comments, though. No, we're not. What's up with that? Comments seem to have stopped. Yeah, maybe they don't like us anymore. If you are, this, of the six people that are still watching, just comment so we know you're alive. Here's the thing. We could go live at YouTube if we wanted to. We would get a much bigger following. I like keeping it at our small little group, though, and then releasing the show, uh, you know, the, the polished version on YouTube. So are you just deliberately holding this back? Is that what you're saying? The live feed's just for fun. Business. The real business happens. Oh, look at that. We just got a comment. comment. Yeah, look at that. Okay. Anyway, well, I'll get back to uh, Laser here. William's still alive, at least. It's, okay. William's still alive, at least. Dave? Yeah, old, old bastard. <laughs> yes, right on so many terms. Both old and a bastard. <laughs> All right. Matt commented, too, but I'm not going to bring it up at the moment because we got to get to Laser's question and keep talking about drugs and stuff. Uh, when 
it does. I was wondering, uh, does GH frag need to be spot injected for best results or because it's going to go systemic anyway, it won't matter much. Um, hopeful to know in turn, helpful to help know in terms of benefits of specific location versus scar tissue building up. I don't think you're going to get a lot of scar tissue, first of all, from an insulin needle. No, and it doesn't matter where it goes, uh, really. Um, but, you know, is scar tissue advantageous to an extent because you end up with <laughs> some extra tissue in that area? I'm going to say no, no. Yeah, you I don't particularly flow, think so. Uh, Decreased performance, tightness, everything else. Yeah, I don't More really likely. think so. And how many people have you known that have popped fibers in their quad right in the area where they happen to inject? Well, I definitely had knots let go and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, plus, you know, I, I have a bigger question. Uh, GH frag, do we want to use it anyway when you could use actual GH, which is the entire, you know, protein sequence? Well, the only the only advantage I would say is potentially if it's pure fat loss you're seeking uh, and and constrained financially. Uh, the other thing is generally there's more concern about the genuinity of GH than there is about the genuinity of frag. Okay, I could see that. The cost wise, though, I don't think the cost is going to be much better because these. You know, Not you, true. You, you buy it yeah. one bottle at a time from some research place, and by the time you're done spending your money on, on – and that's what I see with a lot of the secretagogue-style peptides. It's like you're making all this fuss to take several shots a day uh, through this peptide source when you could have gotten good quality growth hormone and just been done with it, you know? I don't think cell proliferation is really a concern, but I, I do get the potential concern about uh, BG issues. Uh, he's saying he prefers the frag over GH because of uh, potential BG issues. Yeah, I, I could see. So cell prolif proliferation. Um, okay, there is that. Glucose, unless you're taking high doses. I mean, here's a thought, man. Uh, people, I mean, people are using growth hormone uh all around the world, you know, they're being prescribed it for rejuvenation purposes. Oh, they just got to leave us. Hold the fort for one second. Okay. okay. Uh, you know, people are using growth hormone all around the world for, you know, rejuvenation purposes. They're being prescribed by their doctors. They're taking two, three units a day, maybe a little bit less than that, but it's really good, high quality growth hormone. And they're not, they're not seeing blood sugar issues. You know, it's the blood sugar issues I think happen uh, with long-term use of higher dosing. And if it is a concern, then you can you can test for that too. Like test your fasted blood sugar, see where you're at. You know, two hours postprandial. Where'd you go, Dave? Uh, there was a wet pussy at the door. Oh my God, Dave! This is a family program. You've just been taking drugs live on screen and you're going on about it. <laughs> this is me wanting to come in and it's raining. You did make a valuable I, point there. Around to the other doors and she went away and then came back and was sat there moaning and throwing herself against the door. So, All right. I'm going to grab another one from the, the, uh, the questions at YouTube. 
Hey guys, another great video question for next week. Uh, is there any compounds that can help with bursitis in the shoulder? I was unsure if DECA or HGH would help. Thanks in advance. Now, bursitis, well, I would it's the bursa sac that would be mm -hmm. between the tendons, right? Basically keeping mm -hmm. it from rubbing. And it's like an inflammation, just like a tinnitus, but this is inflammation of the bursa sac versus of the tendon. Just want to throw it out there. Mm -hmm. And as such, stuff like glutathione could come in. BPC. Uh, BPC, turmeric, TB should all be beneficial. Probably more so than I don't. The DECA is an anti-inflammatory and does have an anti-inflammatory effect. I'm not so sure how helpful it will be with bursitis, but I, I, I do think it... GH, I don't think it's going to do much at all. Nah. Um... But I do think that, that DECA has some potential there. Number one thing is going to be looking at why you got the bursitis. And if you continue to do place, whatever yeah. it took to create it, then I don't care what you take. It's not going to go away. So it's going to take rest. And that doesn't necessarily mean you can't train, but you can't do the things that would irritate it and cause more bursitis, right? You just need to be a little bit more intelligent when you're training around what's causing the problem. Absolutely. Um and it, I mean, it, sometimes it's just an anomaly. It, it does happen. It gets irritated, and then you compound that irritation, um, and resulting in you know, full-blown bursitis. Uh, but uh, it can often be a sign of muscle tightness or muscle imbalance and stuff like that, or form issues within the exercises you're doing, or just some exercises that you just don't get on with. You know, I mean, some exercises load jointal stresses in different ways. Or like myself, uh, when I had worked manual labor jobs. Uh, it, it, there was always something coming up because the combination of training hard in the gym plus, you know, using my body physically to move stuff, uh, you know, you, you would get like you'd get repetitive issue, you know, mm -hmm. from just the combination of it all. So it, it is a tough one, I think. And that's really, I think, how I initially bothered my bicep tendon was a combination of having my arm in front of me, lifting stuff like that. And then also going in the gym on top of it. You sure it wasn't through self-pleasuring? Fifty mm, percent sure. So it was. It was partly through self-pleasuring. There's a fifty percent. There's a fifty-fifty, Dave. Let's be real. All right. You need to change hands. All right. Pull one off the live feed. Uh, what do you think of the next essential addition to PEDs, like growth, like GH? came in okay and insulin came in and both are staples of bodybuilding what might be the next area of compounds that will get attention so i think it's funny you know i had this discussion with broderick a couple of weeks ago yeah. um the future of of doping effectively where we were going to go chemically um in reality of what we're going to see as a drug to hit the black market, I think we may see a successful myostatin inhibition. They're working on it, man. Yeah, they are heavily as well. Um, I mean, we don't have a commercially viable, successful version at the moment, like for statin and stuff like that. It's a bag of shit. But there are definitely chemical developments of pretty successful myostatin suppression. Um, and they're working through clinical trials. So I do think we will see a development in that area. Long term, 
we're going to see, without doubt, genetic manipulation. Um, it's yeah. already viable. It, it's just not practical or cost effective. Yeah. Um, or even ethical at this stage. But I do think that long term, you will potentially be able to literally shop your physique or, or you know, your biohack your intelligence, your biohack your performance, your biohack your muscularity or your condition and things like that. Um, obviously, when it when it does become in any way available, it's going to be uber expensive. Yeah. Um, and, and it's going to be incredibly cost prohibitive for 99.99% of people. I did say at the time when we had the conversation that I felt that that could potentially be the death of bodybuilding because you could create a physique just through your checkbook. Um, but, and I, and I get his point here, he felt that it wouldn't for the simple reason that it would just increase the extremes. I'd agree with him. I really do. Because so I yeah. think some people probably said the same thing about steroids. Mm. So you would you would get obviously you would get potentially a physique you could buy in a in a genetics lab that yeah. would match a current top bodybuilder. Yeah. But that that chemical advantage plus the ability to train hard and diet and everything else is then going to create a next level physique beyond what we currently know. Yeah. Oh, we'll see. We shall see. I mean, if you, if you think about it in a way, um, one of the big things that separates the pros from us mere mortals yeah. is their genetics. I mean, yeah, there's work ethic and, 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 you know, ability to train hard and ability to stick to diet and all that shit that falls into it. But there is also one big element. One big element is genetics. Yeah. Now, not every pro has those genetics, and there are pros that have overcome those with with drugs or with with you know intelligent training or intelligent dieting or whatever it may be. But there is no doubt. I know a few pros that would have been pro whatever they did just because their genetics were so engineered and so Absolutely. good towards bodybuilding. Absolutely. Um, and when you look at their drug protocols, you look at their training, and you look at their diets, it's like, how the fuck did you develop that physique based on that foundation? Because your foundation. For all intents and purposes, as far as we we look at it, is is garbage. But that's superior genetics. So the the genetic manipulation would would definitely create this new baseline of what an amateur physique is. is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then it would be, and and I suppose to a degree, those that were genetically gifted wouldn't see much of an improvement from modifying their genetics and they would then have to look at actually training hard and dieting properly and doing the rest of the shit that needs to be done. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, this is something I'm not familiar with. Um, so James Hastings, he says, are either of you familiar with, I, I don't know how to say the word, abdominal diet... Diastasis. Diastasis. So that's when the abs split, like what happens to mm -hmm. a pregnant woman, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Cause, oh, okay. So his was caused by surgery. I'm trying to determine if it's something that needs to be fixed ASAP or if I can wait until I know it's fully healed. The surgery that caused it had, was done in February. It says I've DM'd you on Instagram with the details in case they are needed. So, 
Well, the first question I have is, was the surgery actually actually an incision through the ab wall that separated the ab wall? So have they cut down the middle of the abs to separate the ab wall? Um, and if so, when they stitch you back up, did they not stitch the ab wall back together? Because that would be what I would thought would have happened. Yeah. Um, or is there some complication within the surgery that means that can't be done? Or has it separated post-surgery in recovery? Which means there's been a failure of, of that stitching, effectively. A bit like, you know, when you get a hernia operation and if they don't patch it, you can reopen your hernia. Yeah. Is this like a torn muscle then, basically? Well, if, 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 if they've surgically cut up the ab wall, which is what you see in cesarean sections, yeah. then they they should, in theory, stitch the ab wall back together, but it doesn't necessarily always knit properly. Um, and you can have a weakness in that seam that can cause it to separate at a later date, or it can just start to stretch a little bit and, and, and pull apart. But um, without knowing more detail, it's difficult to say um, where he is and what's gone on. Yeah, I don't have, obviously, the time live on the show to read a ton uh, well, let's revisit this next week okay. with, with all the information. Okay. Yeah, we could do that. Because um, it gives me some time to read into the, the condition a bit more because I only I don't know enough to really have an in-depth conversation about it. Fair enough. Um, hey, guys. Hope you're having a good day. That was very nice of him. Hope he's having a good day, too. I'm a new listener to the podcast after Vigorous Steve shouted you out. I have a question for both of you. Can you give uh, – can you go a bit – into muscle relaxers and bodybuilding lately i like to take 10 to 30 milligrams of valium post-workout can you please tell me if this would be beneficial or detrimental or does it make no difference addiction and training aside because it is out of my system by the next workout i feel dave could have experience on uh, with this because of his crazy workouts he used to do. Uh, big fan from, what's that place? Seb, Sebinko? I think so, Croatia. Croatia? Mm. Have you ever been to Croatia, Dave? I know you're traveling around. No, no, I haven't. I haven't at all. Um, um, I don't know much about. I know. I think bodybuilding's quite big over there. I think bodybuilding's quite big in a lot of like the Lithuania, Romania, Croatia, those sort of countries. But uh, I'd love to go see a contest in in one of those countries. Well, we I don't know if it's like over there, but there, there, there's always been a strong sort of Eastern Bloc contingent of of competitors within British bodybuilding, and and they yeah. do tend to deliver some some very good quality physiques. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a genetic makeup thing or if that's um, um, more of a social effect of how they look at training and such like that, you know, within their communities. But, uh, yeah, there was a guy a few years ago, big Polish lad, had every chance of going all the way but could never quite get in condition, and he just disappeared. Hmm. So 30 milligrams um, of Valium, right? that's a lot of Valium. I'm not that familiar with Valium because it's not something we commonly see over here. As I see a drug. it in it's in twos, five milligrams, and ten milligram tablets. Um, 
but I would suspect that it would interrupt the natural information process and the release of growth factors post-training, which yeah. is one of the reasons why it's it's been observed that anti-inflammatories actually reduce muscle growth. It's also, it's. Not, I will say this, it's not out of your system by the time you train next. Uh, Valium is a very old school benzodiazepine and it's uh, like the newer ones like Xanax, they leave your system more quickly. Uh, I can say out of, I might know somebody who is in recovery who had a great deal of experience with Valium who still tested positive for it about five weeks after the last time he took it. It, it, it lingers for a long, long time. And obviously the more you take, the more is gonna be in your system too. Um, I'm gonna be careful here. Okay. Um, but I want to get a point across, but I want to do it in such a way that it's not particularly offensive because I don't mean it to be. Okay. Um, I've had this conversation about other things as well. So like, if you need painkillers to enjoy your workout, if you need incredibly strong stimulants to have a hard workout, then I start to get to question if really this is for you. But at the same time, I'm conflicted because I think, well, what difference is there between someone taking a painkiller to endure the DOMS post-workout as there is to someone taking steroids to increase their muscle mass? And, and I suppose in theory, there is no difference. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying to an extent, but I you think know, it's more about... I don't think I can... I don't think I can sit here and say, well, you shouldn't do Valium post-workout if you need it post-workout to, to relax. But then again, would that, you could, you guys, well, you shouldn't do steroids if you, if, you know, for the same sort of basic reasons. So I don't think I can stand in judgment, but it, it does seem to be, particularly if anabolics are going to be used as well and other compounds are in use, you've got to be very careful where do you stop the drugging. Yeah. Um, your body is going to take a, a certain level of abuse. It will tolerate a certain level of crap thrown at it, but you will eventually get to a point where you, you'll, you'll have the straw that breaks a camel's back. Um, and, and, you know, unnecessary drugs is something you need to review. Um, I'm not saying they are unnecessary. I'm questioning whether they are necessary. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, the pain the next day was was always a badge of honour. Um, it was always a sign of a job well done. Yeah. Um, and I, I almost sort of lived for that within my training. Um, I, I'm not sure why you would need Valium post workout unless you were used just to eat some edibles, <laughs> unless you were using um, a very strong stimulant in order to perform in the workout. Because naturally, you're going to get a huge hit of endomorphins post-workout and you're going to naturally chill out anyway. Yeah. Uh, unlike some of the other benzodiazepines, Valium does have a muscle-relaxing effect to it. it, it yeah, but why used. would you? I don't, I don't see how you would need to relax a muscle post-workout because it should relax naturally post-workout. 
Yeah. Yeah, I I I'm it's something I muscle doesn't tighten post workout. It's actually relaxed post workout unless you're fucking up with your salts or your hydration. Yeah. It's something I would definitely I I I agree it's something that I would strongly look at. Um and I I can say that you know, as a coach, I've worked with so you know tons of people. It's like when you do this full time, you've seen a lot of physiques. And there hasn't been a single situation so far that I've thought to myself, like, wow, this guy could really use a benzodiazepine post-workout. So if you are in a position where you you believe that you need that, I would almost consider, like, maybe evaluating your mindset, you know, because... Yeah, I, I, I can't help but question why. Um, and and I don't want to be judgmental. Absolutely. Because, yeah. you know, what what makes one drug better or not better than another drug um, at the end of the day, it's all drug abuse. True. Um, when you get, when you get down to the brass tacks of it, it's all drug abuse. And we just say, well, steroid use is acceptable. Why? Because we do it. Yeah. Yeah. If you went to the outside of us. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, we're, steroids we're by, users. yeah. Steroids by my, my country standards are considered to be a, uh, I'm getting a call here from somebody. I don't know. Huh? going to hang up on them steroids by my government's stance is that they are a an addictive substance that you know is is but it's, it's been there's research now to support that as well um uh, there is research to support um, addiction it's a bit steroid it, it's scheduled just as in in opiate would be and if you were outside of our circle then sure people would say hey you know you guys are all using drugs, you know? Yeah, and, and it, it, that is very relative, isn't it? I mean, it is very important, the fact that your 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 social circle and the environment in which you sit has a huge impact on how you view certain things. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're of a, um, a, a, a social persuasion where you, you eat out a lot, then drinking wine is going to be a very regular, generally would be a very regular occurrence and it's completely acceptable. Whereas yeah. somebody else, you'd be a pisshead. Yeah. All right. I'll move on here. We have one more. And this guy um, is part of your paying site, Dave. He said you didn't answer his question there, though. What do you mean my paying site? I don't see no fucking... Oh, you mean my website? Yes, yes. Oh, you sad man. Why did you pay for that? Fucking hell. Okay, sorry. I mean, I didn't say that out loud. I did that out. He says, uh, no. uh, uh, hey, question for the episode. And he does say he asked on your site. Um, all right. Uh, what do you think okay. of using um, insulin? Do you have something to say before I ask the question? Yeah, first thing is, I apologize if I've not responded. I will. I do know there are a couple of questions to answer, which are on my list to do tomorrow. Uh, but I have been away this weekend. It's not an excuse. You are paying for a service, and I do apologize. Um, right. I will get to that immediately. All right. He says, uh, um, what do you think of using, and we talked about this on another program too, uh, just this past week, a few units of uh, fast-acting insulin, uh, or excuse me, yeah, uh, to making blood sugar very low before fasted cardio, thinking this makes it a useful tool for fat loss. Uh, and yes, there are people who do this. And same thing for using Lantus on prep to save muscle and burn more fat. Do you think this is a logical protocol? I know people who do this too. My understanding of this is that yes, it is. Um, 
that the, the theory behind this is that if you lower circulating blood glucose level, then your body has to seek energy from elsewhere, and so it will metabolize fat. Yeah. Now, that's the basic theory behind it. Now, I've not used it as a protocol in somebody who is normal with the BGs, but I have used it as a protocol in people who are struggling with fat loss who have generally elevated BG. Yeah. Um, or, or our top end of, of insulin resistance. Uh, and it's generally shown to be quite beneficial. Um, I'm not sure if that impact's going to be the same in somebody who's normal. The theory would suggest that it would be. Uh, but I, I've not personally experienced it or worked with anybody that's done it, so I can't really add any more than that. But theory-wise, sounds sound, yeah. Yeah, uh, Andrew Berry had said that he found it to be something that he would consider, say, early in a prep. You know, if you're in a position where, or if you were in an off season, you had a cheat meal the night before, blood sugar is already going to be higher. And the way he put it, he was like, you know, but once we get further in, you know, once you're six weeks out, your blood sugar is going to be pretty low to begin with. Yeah. And then you might be taking more risks. I, I think it's something that has to be monitored. I don't think yes. it's something you can just throw at it pro rata and expect it to work. Uh, and would definitely agree, your if your insulin sensitivity is not good and your BG response is not good by the time you're four, five, six weeks out from your comp, you're either still very, very, very fat or yeah. you're a diabetic. It's, it's effectively where you are at that point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, definitely I've, I've, I've seen a few people that have been struggling, um, and they are generally big, high body fat levels. And when we've added a small amount of insulin, uh, fast acting per meal, their fat loss has definitely improved. So I think that the theory is very, very sound. Have you seen those, uh, the blood sugar monitors that just literally like plug into your arm and you just mm -hmm. leave it there? That's kind of like the new thing and you can mm -hmm. have it hooked up to an app on your phone and constantly monitor it. I think that's pretty mm. amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, for diabetics, they tend to double that with a, a, a phone-controlled um, insulin pump. Yes, yeah. yeah. I have a friend who does that. Yeah. Um, I often wondered if you could, you could modify an insulin pump to deliver GH. <laughs> Just a constant stream, little GH all day long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that idea. Well, that's all our questions. That's all we got. Well, go away and modify an insulin pump and come back next week and tell us if you're dead or not. Oh, God. Yes. All right. Well, that's all we have, guys. Uh, uh, feel free, like I said before, comment for the next show. We will take your questions there. Uh, we would be happy to answer them. Dave, I know you have a full day ahead of you, so we shall uh, part ways. It's the end of the day, and I've still got a full day ahead of me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Well, definitely, guys, go out, uh, check out Dave's stuff. Go to crosslands.org.uk. You can reach out to him for coaching there. Uh, I'm at McNally, McNallyDiets at gmail.com. You can reach out to me for coaching there. Uh, check out our great sponsor, truenutrition.com. Like I said, I'm about to order some MPA muscle intrusion, intrusion right when we get off the line here. David, chip, chip, cheerio, my friend. Yes, I'm going to go onto my website and look for these questions I haven't answered. Whoops. Get to it. <laughs> Oops. Thank <laughs> you.